Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. It's so exciting to spend time with you guys online today as we are in week number three of our brand new series called New. How original. What an amazing series that we're in. Now, can you believe it? We're already halfway through January. The year is going like crazy. And um, I'd like to dive into today's sermon, starting with a question. And the question is phrased like this. It goes as follows. How much do you think you are worth? I want you to consider this for a moment. Think about it. I mean, let's try and make it a little bit more concrete. So let's put a number to this worth. How much are you worth monthly salary-wise? How much do you think are you worth? If you're with someone close to you, I want you to turn to that person and maybe tell them what you think at this moment. What number is popping up in your head? Maybe it's uh, 10,000. Maybe it's 20,000 rand a month. Maybe you guys are like, whoa, way more up there. Maybe you're 50,000 rand a month. You're sitting thinking that. Maybe 100,000 rand a month. Interesting. An interesting question. And I can imagine there might be some smiles on the other side of this camera now. But um, <clears throat> just, to, just to quickly ask you two more questions on this one. The first one is, how did you determine that value? How did you decide on how much you're worth? And the second question that I'd like to ask is, why didn't you double that amount? Why didn't you just take the amount that you have in your mind and double it, saying, I'm that worth? What was the thing that was limiting your sense of value in this moment? Now, as I've said, we're in our new series in week three already, almost way through it. And this is a series where we are looking at the contrast between the new year, new me kind of gospel versus the gospel of Jesus. Now, the new year, new me kind of gospel is basically just another way of saying that I'm trying harder kind of lifestyle and gospel. It's the gospel of works. It's the, I don't even know if you can call it a gospel because it's not really a lot of good news. Because every single year we all start off there, and I don't know maybe about you, but probably every one of us have already made a decision this year. I am going to lose that weight. I am going to save up. And we all have all of these great ideas and commitments that we make at the beginning of the year. I'm going to basically just try harder. I have a new plan. I'm going to really try harder this time and everything will change. And then what goes on? By the end of Feb, let's give you guys some grace. By the end of Feb, 80% of us have already given up on that first year commitment that we've made. And that's not at all the gospel Jesus brings. Jesus is not bringing a try harder, feel better kind of gospel. No, not at all. He instead comes in and he says, no, it's not about you trying harder. I am going to make you new. And he says this in Revelations 21 verse 5. He gives us this promise sitting on the throne saying, I am making all things new. If you've ever wondered what was the mission that Jesus is on, what is he on, what is he busy with, what's his focus? It is, I am making all things new. 
And we've been busy exploring this. We've been looking at how Paul phrases it. And just quickly, one of the verses in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says the following. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And he's saying the love of Jesus. Because then right in the beginning of this portion, he says the love of Christ drives us. It moves us. But not only is it a driving force for our life, the love of Jesus Christ also is the force that transforms us, that makes us new, that makes us brand new. So we've decided to dive into a little portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is engaging with the poster boys, I'd like to say, of the new year new me kind of gospel that I'm going to try harder, the gospel of works. And they're accusing Jesus of the lifestyle that he's living and the actions that he's taking. And as they accuse Jesus, Jesus responds to them with three different parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then also the two lost sons in this little parable. And we're looking at all three of those and we're looking at how Jesus's transforming love changes you and me. So I'd like to invite you to read with me in Luke chapter 15. We're going to be reading from verse 1 to 3, and then we're going to dive into today's parable. Because last week, Abel spoke about the lost sheep, which is all about the motivation for the mission. And we've said that this amazing evangelistic opportunity that God has given us is not a system, it's not a program, but it's driven by the revelation of God's love for us. That is, that's why we go because he loves us. So this week, we're looking at parable number two, the story of the lost coin. Read with me. Verse one. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. That's now Jesus. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them these parables, saying, what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. And then Jesus ends it off. He says, In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow. Short little story. Jesus, being a master storyteller, confronts the Pharisees in a very radical way. Now, this little parable is a parable that centers around the topic of value. And Jesus is busy challenging the Pharisees' view of value as well as our view of value. And he's talking about an inherent value that the people have. You see, because the Pharisees, at right at the beginning, challenges Jesus, his view of value, and who he spends his time with. So I think in this little parable and this story, there are four things that we can learn about value. Great. So let's dive into point number one, how we value people. We find it right here in the beginning where the Pharisees confront Jesus, and they make it. They, this confrontation and this accusation is based on a specific foundational value 
system. And I want you guys to see it quickly. It's here in verse number two. It says, verse one, that Jesus spent some time with the tax collectors and the sinners. And then the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, they didn't approve of this clearly, that this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, I think for us to better understand why they were so angry at Jesus and why this doesn't fit, two quick things. Firstly, They've heard that Jesus and people speak about Jesus as being the Messiah. So that would be the hero of Israel, the one that would come and set Israel free. This is the guy that's going to make everything right for us. Where does he go to find his guys? He doesn't go to the temple. Oh, no. He's going to the place where nobody wants to go. He's going to the tax collectors and the sinners. And on the one side, they're questioning Jesus. How can you even go and recruit these guys? I mean, they just don't even fit the description of what would be the perfect army and the perfect group of people or the greatest team ever assembled to support you, O great Messiah. That's kind of the picture. They kind of flabbergasted, and I believe maybe even a little bit jealous about the fact that they're not even chosen. But more than this, the fact that Jesus engages in fellowship with these people are unheard of especially in that culture. You see, in our cultural setting, when you invite someone over for a nice meal, you're showing a friendly gesture to somebody. You're saying, I'd like to spend some time with you and I'd like to be nice towards you. But in this culture, it was far more than just a friendly gesture. No, when you've invited someone and if that someone should accept, it's basically an offer of friendship. That's the invitation. It's saying, I want to I want to have community with you. I want you to be one of my good friends. I invite you into my life. I want to be associated with you, and I'd like you to be associated with me. We are friends. We have relationship. And Jesus is opening up to these guys that nobody wants to be with. And he's saying, I want to be with you guys. I want to spend time with you. Do you see how radical this moment is? And just to maybe give you guys some clearance on this, that you understand the, the picking order, the social picking order of this culture and day and age would be basically the religious leaders and then all of the um, rich guys and then the poor guys and then the sinners and then the mothers-in-law. And then I'm just joking about the mothers. Sorry, I just added in here. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it's, it's a little bit further down. It's actually the sinners and then the tax collectors. And I'm really serious about this. So the mothers-in-law, that's the joke side. But the tax collectors are real, guys. It's like I, these guys believe they were a special place in hell for them. That's how much they were despised. They were traitors. And Jesus decides, I'm going to spend time with them. And this breaks the foundation of the religious elite's worldview in terms of how we determine value. Because how do we do this? If we're really honest with one another, one another, we build value, our perception of value of people and ourselves are built on two things, what we have accomplished and who we are associated with, who invites us into the circle of friends. What have we achieved in life that gives us the right to be in those circles? That's the thing that makes me valuable. And that's exactly what the Pharisees come with. He says, how can you, you the Messiah, connect to this group? You guys just don't fit doesn't work. Jesus challenges this. He says, no, guys, you're missing it. Now, I wonder who would be tax collectors in your day and age, right there in Durban, in Bloemfontein, where you are. 
Who would be the tax collectors in your world? The people that you don't connect with. The people that nobody wants to connect to. Jesus went straight to them. He was razor sharply focused towards them. Now, this valuing system is not only... It's not only not the truth, and Jesus doesn't just challenge us, it really fails us in big ways. Here's one of the ways that Jesus lifts out, and I want to quickly bring your attention to these stories, because in all three of these stories, there's a very clear line that happens and a big emphasis on three things. Firstly, Jesus agrees that the whole world is lost. Something goes lost. Someone goes lost. Then there's this great search. There's this, I can't wait for something to get back. There's this anticipation to get back what was lost. And then when that thing that was lost is found again, there is a party, people. There is joy in the air and everybody is excited. They're rejoicing. Look here in verse 9. It says, when she found this coin, she called together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. And then Jesus emphasizes, don't you guys see, check this out, in the same way as she's found her coin, Verse 10, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. God has rejoiced over one sinner, one person that's lost, that is found again, that repents, that comes back. So there's a great joy. Now, in our system of building and seeing, building our own value on a foundation of works and achievements and maybe association with other people, this joy falls short. There's a problem in the way we build joy. And I quickly want to show it to you guys. So let's quickly do an illustration. Let's say the foundation on which you've built your joy for life is maybe your degree. Maybe you became a doctor or you have some other university degree. They say, yeah, this is why I'm valuable. This is why I matter. This is the thing. I've achieved this. I'm valuable to the people around me. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the fact that you have raised quality and wonderful children and you have a healthy home and your family is going well. Everything is doing great. And that's like your life goal. If I get this, then I mean something. Then I have value. Maybe, maybe it's because you're just a very moral, very, very, very Bible-believing person. And you believe that's the thing. I have so much Bible knowledge. This gives me value. Whatever it is, the question would then be, with these value factors, the things that add value and meaning to your life, give you joy? The answer to that is absolutely yes. They do. I mean, we all feel overjoyed when we've achieved something and when we see a healthy home. There is great joy in our hearts. These things bring us joy. They make us feel good. They make us feel valuable and give us a sense of meaning. However, here's the problem. The problem is that all of these ways is built on a foundation of discrimination. Here's what I mean by it. Your joy automatically comes from looking down upon someone that does not have what you have. It's inherent to the way of valuing it. I can feel good that I've achieved it because other people haven't. Or I can feel good that I have this great family being I look at someone who does not have that great family. And if we're really honest with one another, it's a value and a joy that excludes people and basically says the following, I find joy in other people's suffering. And it's terrible. Jesus says, that's not the kind of joy that I'm talking about here. There is a different way of valuing this world. 
and seeing something like I do. And you will have true joy over every person. Your joy will not exclude anyone. The problem with this kind of value system and the joy that it produces is that it's a joy that excludes. It excludes tax collectors. It excludes sinners. It excludes the prostitutes. It excludes the guys that does not like what you like. However, the picture Jesus gives is inclusive, brings everyone together. So, how does Jesus value? What's the radical different way that he brings and he confronts us with in this little parable? So Jesus challenges our foundation and he does it like this. He tells a story of a woman who stays in a dusty and dark little house. She's lost a coin and she's on search for this coin very diligently. See, she's busy searching until she finds it. And that's the picture that he gives. And he says the reason why she is so diligently busy searching for this coin is because it has inherent value. It is valuable in itself. Now, I love the way Jesus tells stories and how much he challenges us because in the story is actually making the statement saying, guys, I am actually in Israel going to all the dark and the dusty places. And do you know why? Because I'm searching for the coins in those places and they are people and they have inherent value. They are absolutely priceless to me and to the Father. Don't you see this? And what I love about the story is the fact that he makes it a coin. He says the coin is the thing that's so valuable. I mean, think about it for a moment. If we base our value on what we can do, how much does a coin determine its own value? How much did a coin do to make itself valuable? Absolutely nothing. You're right. A coin can't make itself valuable. It is created with value. And that's the thing Jesus taps into. He says, all of humanity has been created with an inherent value. They are the image and the likeness of God. And I'm here to redeem, to bring back that I do not look like you guys are looking. That's the picture that he gives us. So this parable doesn't just say you're infinitely lost, which we all are. But we have also been infinitely valued in the eyes of God and through Jesus. That's, that is good news. That's the kind of news that gets you interested, that gets you connected to Jesus, to realize that Jesus is on a search and he's looking everywhere. I don't know about you. Maybe you're listening to this and maybe you felt like a tax collector for your whole life, like the guy that has been shunned. Nobody values you. Nobody wants you then you're probably here today. May I tell you the greatest news ever? The creator of the world clawed his way down from heaven to earth to tell you, you are valuable. You are of great value. In fact, the Bible tells us that the people that was around Jesus were not the churchgoers. No, it was the sinners, the tax collectors, the corruption guys, the guys playing political games, all those guys nobody wants to be with. They were the guys flocking to Jesus. They were like the basically every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they were around him. They couldn't get enough of him. 
That's the people Jesus attracted. And why? Because he treated them with dignity and respect. And he saw based on the foundation that God created you with great value. Now, seeing this might prick your interest. But I don't believe fully just knowing that Jesus is on a search for you is the only thing that can transform your heart. I think the transformation when we discover the value is to see the following. That in this parable, Jesus is not just the woman on search for a priceless coin. No. In this story, we need to discover, and this is the thing that will transform your heart, is that Jesus is also the coin. Yes, the coin that got lost. In fact, more than just lost. In that dark little corner, Jesus came down into this world and he sunk into the muck and into the darkness of this world. And then on a cross, in his darkest moment, when he was hoping that someone would come, like this woman came out and she diligently searched to try and find this truly valuable coin. In that moment when he was hoping that his father would come and search for him, put on the light saying, I'm here for you. I'm getting you. In that moment, nobody was there. And he says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do this? Well, he did it so that you may be found. Jesus was not just a lost coin. He became the rejected coin. The coin that nobody would ever want. The coin that was rejected by its creator. God himself. So that you and I may be embraced and accepted. That's how much God values you. And that's the thing. Once you grip that, once that love takes a hold of your heart, it transforms you into a new being, makes you new. It makes you see the true value that God has for you. I haven't planned this, but I experienced it on my heart. A simple illustration that I always tell people when it comes to their value. If you go down any street now into any supermarket and you buy Coke, Coke equals, let's say, 15 Rand, Buddy Coke, 15 bucks. That's a value statement. Coke equals 15 rand. I wonder, like in the beginning when I asked how much are you worth, let's put your name right next to this equation. Let's take the Coke away. Let's put down there Lorraine. And then put an equal sign. And then ask the question, what's the number on the other side? Can I tell you what's God's answer? You're not a number. It's a name. Lorraine equals Jesus. That's how much he was worth paying. That's how valuable you are in his eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege of being able to just spend time in your presence. And Father, I come and pray as we're reflecting on these powerful words of Jesus. Holy Spirit, that you would come and make them alive in our hearts. That it would not be just another story, but that the truth will set us free. That we will no longer base our foundational value on what we can do and who we are liked by and who we are accepted by, but that we will see the truth. 
that every single person on this planet has inherent value because you created them and you've paid the ultimate price to redeem each and every one. That I want to come and pray. If you're listening to this, guys, and you're in a space where you know that God needs to birth a fire of love in your heart for the lost and you want that, I want to pray for you. Dad, if there is someone whose hearts are opening and saying, Jesus, come and birth a heart and a joy a joyful heart for the lost, a heart that's yearning to see people come to Jesus, to discover this good news, that they are valuable beyond measure. God, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir that fire in their hearts. They would seek any opportunity to invite people to come and see, to get a know. And then secondly, if you are here today, and you might be the tax collector, or the sinner, you believe God doesn't want to have anything to do with you, but you've heard for the very first time that He actually loves you and He cares enough to give Himself for you. I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. Trust Jesus with everything. In Romans, we read that if you believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead and you confess that He is the Lord of your life, you are saved. You're one of His children. And you can enjoy this freedom. You can be set free. So I want to pray with you that is something that's on your heart. Father, for everyone that wants to embrace and confess you as Lord of their life, for everyone that has been stirred in their hearts with faith, I come and pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would guide them, that they would be set free. And we want to rejoice with the heaven about people being set free from the grip and from the lies of this world, that they will live in the freedom that you've given us. And they, by this moment, remain brand new. They're a new creation in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.